a beautiful bouquet of flowers. It can say more than words ever could. To celebrate, congratulate, or just let someone know you're thinking of them. At flowers.ie, we know every bouquet is special. So every order we receive is hand-picked, arranged with care, and delivered with love across Ireland. We even send a video before it's delivered, so you know it's just right. Say it with flowers at www.flowers.ie. Rated five stars on Trustpilot. Taking stock. Thanks to Skillnet Ireland, driving business success through innovative training and upskilling. This is Mandy Johnston with you on News Talks Taking Stock. I'm joined now by Michael Collins, who's the Director General at the Irish Institute for European Affairs. And he's a former ambassador for Ireland to the United States, but he's here in his capacity today as a former ambassador to Germany from 2013 to 2019. So he's well placed to tell us what's happening there at the moment. Michael, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us today on News Talk. Thank you very much, Mandy. I'm delighted to be here. Now, Michael, before we get into what's happening now in Germany and look at the political and economic landscape there, can I can I just ask you, how did you find living in Germany? What's it like? Uh, like many Irish people, I've been there on weekends or conferences or even football matches. Things run very smoothly, efficient and effective. But what's it like culturally to live there? Well, it's all the above, obviously. Um, just bearing in mind, I came directly from Washington, D.C., which was, again, a very different uh, place, place to live in. But living in Berlin, and of course, just bear in mind, uh, Mandy, Berlin is not necessarily representative of all of Germany. Uh, but it, first of all, it's a huge privilege to be there. Um, but secondly, you're you're deeply conscious of the fact that you were in a place which was full of history. Uh, of course, the history of the last, in the last century would being, being a history of kind of dark clouds of, uh, and uh, some levels of, of disaster. But I mean... Uh, you know, so got to know the Germans pretty well over a six-year period because I was there for quite a long period of time indeed and, and got to know them pretty well. The one thing I would say is that, you know, uh, that they're not all, uh, you know, obviously there are certain stereotypical images of the Germans, not the least of which is that they work a lot harder than we do. Uh, but I can tell you uh, the reality is at times uh, somewhat different. Uh, they, 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 they work, obviously, uh, to the extent that they need to work, uh, but they don't go an awful lot beyond that. And I, I think they, they know how to enjoy themselves as well. They know how to to uh, enjoy their leisure time in particular, uh, and I think uh, you know we 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 I say we had an opportunity to get to know them pretty well, and overall found them to, found it to be an extremely friendly place with a really kind of nice positive reflex uh, towards Ireland in particular. So we felt uh, very very welcome. Uh, and grow, we grew to, to, to like it very much and we grew to like the Germans as well very much. Um, and you've worked obviously with them uh, and part of their structure and their system there in government. Can you tell us how their governments are structured and how that compares to say how we would know governments and, and regional structures here? Well, it really is important, I think, to understand that, that Germany, uh, maybe uniquely in Europe, in fact, uniquely in Europe, has a, is, is a federal, uh, is, is, is constructed on a federal basis. So you've got 16 uh, individual states, some of them city-states like Berlin and Hamburg, but other massive states like Bavaria or Nordrhein-Westphalia. So you have to understand that Germany, while a lot of power does reside uh, in Berlin and with the Chancellor and with the, the government in general there, a huge amount of power also resides uh, in, in local in local politics, uh, lo- local, there's a huge amount of power at state level. And some of these states would be bigger than ours in some of these states, the economies of which, like like Bavaria, would be a lot bigger than us. So it's very, very important to understand when we keep on hearing people like Merkel, Merkel uh, or, or the foreign minister or whatever else, that beneath that there's a very powerful 
uh, you know, regional structure, federal structure, uh, which, for example, controls areas like education, uh, and, and indeed up to recently uh, had full control over areas like health. Uh, all of these make it a much more complex structure than ours, but one that obviously that does work well, although in more recent times I think they've had to recalibrate or calibrate a little bit the way they've managed the whole uh, health area because of the pandemic. Mm. So it's, it's a complex structure, of, as you'd expect from a country of 83 million people, uh, but obviously on, on the top of all of that uh, resides the Chancellor, but she hasn't got... She hasn't got all, she has many, many powers and she's a very powerful, uh, has been a very powerful woman. Uh, but there are a lot of regional uh, governors as well, or regional presidents, as they call themselves, who are who are very, very powerful as well. Not the least of which would be the, 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 the leaders of the prime ministers of a place like Bavaria and Nordrhein-Westphalia. Now, you mentioned just briefly there the, the situation in relation to the pandemic and how they managed it there. The regionalisation and the structures within the regions were an important part of that management. I was very surprised, Michael, to see that less than 60% of people are vaccinated in Germany. Germany um, and how high their death rates are per day. Can you just talk to us about what your assessment is of how they've handled things and, and, and what they're doing to curb those those rates now? Yeah, well, it, it, it surprised me. It has surprised me. The, the rate at the moment, I think, is, it, it may have improved a little bit. It's gone up to 66%. Mm. Uh, and I think they're they're so concerned about this, that the, the inadequacy of this number, because that leaves, I don't know what the figure would be, but it leaves, it's, it's way below our figure, but it would leave maybe 20 million people unvaccinated. And so they have a big problem. I think they, they had a very, if I may put it in these terms, they had a very good first wave. At the mm. first wave of the pandemic, they managed very well. Uh, but since then, they have been uh, struggling, and now they're in the fourth wave um, of the pandemic. And their numbers are truly, uh, by, by any standards, and not least of all their own standards, are, are really, really, really worrying. So they, I think the, that there is an expectation, indeed, over the next few days that uh, in anticipation of coming into government, the uh, uh, incoming Chancellor Schultz, uh, working with uh, Chancellor Merkel, they may have to take more draconian measures uh, to, to uh, have sort of mandates in terms of people, the need for people to be, to be vaccinated, because the numbers at the moment... You know, sixty-six percent doesn't do it. Uh, we have we can see the difficulty even difficulties even here mm. being in the ninety percent. But over there, they've got sixty-six. Now they may be a little bit better cushioned than we are. Indeed, more than a little better cushion because of the the really superb health system that they have. But even with all that superb system uh, health system that they have, they really are they're scratching their heads and wondering how it has all gone. Um, you know, maybe as badly wrong as it has done, because as I say, they were way ahead of the class uh, in the earlier stages, but now they are they are they are they are struggling, and it is beginning also to affect, uh, understandably, um, the economy and just the reopening uh, the reopening of society in general. Do you think that the having the election and the talks after the election has maybe distracted them from the the pandemic and COVID nineteen? Do you think that's had a uh, played a part? I, I don't know that it has. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's, there's no getting away from the pandemic. Mm. The pandemic is just so ubiquitous, so so deadly and 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 so overwhelming that I, I election or no election, um, they, they 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 you know they they had to had to focus on it. But maybe you know the fact that you have an outgoing government and an ingoing government, and the the obviously the new government has had to spend a bit of time uh, trying to manage just the uh, the coalition government agreement, the new coalition government agreement. Maybe there has been a little a little bit of distraction there, uh, but I think they are very clear. In the, of, of a view now that they have to really double down on the efforts and that the current levels and the, the figures that they have are unsustainable. Uh, so if there has been a little bit of distraction, uh, a little bit of distraction while they try to formulate a government, that distraction is about to end uh, very, very shortly indeed. 
This is Mandy Johnston with you on News Talks Taking Stock and we're joined by Michael Collins, who's Director General of the Irish Institute for European Affairs and former Ambassador to the United States and Germany. Yeah, so you mentioned earlier Angela Merkel and she's obviously taking her leave this week as Olaf Scholz will uh, be be uh, sworn in as Chancellor. But um, can we just look at her legacy first? She's been a towering figure in Europe and seen as a leader who has been very solid in the face of, let's, let's face it, multiple crises across the EU since uh, her time at the helm. How is she viewed, though, in Germany as a leader? What's her legacy there? Well, I, I think Angela Merkel leaves office after no less than 16 years uh, in, in that office, which is a phenomenal yeah. time to, to be and, and to remain uh, popular. I mean, uh, not everybody necessarily agrees with everything that Merkel did throughout her 16 years. But uh, but it, despite everything, and it is a rather phenomenal situation, she still remains somebody who's uniquely uh, uh, popular. Uh, and and uh, the big criticism about Merkel would be, I suppose, um, uh, you know, well, the, the, the big positives, first of all, is that, that, that she has maintained an extremely stable Germany throughout those 16 years. And not to be underestimated when you consider what instability has has, has lived in, in countries not too far away from Germany, uh, not that least, the least would be our own neighbourhood here. Uh, but I mean, so she has given that stability, even if at times she has been criticised uh, uh, for for uh, uh, maybe a lack of vision, mm. uh, you know, she was an excellent manager of crisis. She she but but she was not. She did not really kind of um, indulge uh, really in, to any great deliver. She did that. She, did not, she didn't really orchestrate change in mm. the ways that some people have criticised her for. Maybe that's you know. I mean, people may be overly critical there. I think the reality is that no matter what she did, she offered um, stability at a time when when stability was most needed in Europe. So that not only should Germany be grateful for that, but honestly, the wider Europe and not least of all ourselves here in Ireland need to be grateful because the idea that there would be anything other than a stable, steady. Germany at the heart of Europe. If it was anything else, I think Europe would be in a desperately difficult situation. And thankfully, throughout Merkel's reign, even if people do criticise her for a lack of vision, I think she has more than compensated that by offering stability. And I've read, Michael, that the criticism in, in Germany about her is, is that she's not only had the lack of vision, but the failure to modernise. What do people mean when they say that? What do they mean that she hasn't introduced modernisation programmes? Well, I think they mean it. They mainly mean on the industrial side. I mean, there is a big concern, obviously, that that Germany and particularly some of its, its headline industries, like the headline industries, like like the car industry, are, are not obviously fit for the future. Obviously, everything is moving to um, electric. Um, uh, I think the infrastructure also in Germany has been uh, a little bit lacking, good and all as it is. I think they have been. A, 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 she has been presiding over a level of frugality. Maybe the big black zero budget. In other words, mm. where there was no budget excess. Uh, maybe that was taken to excess and maybe investments in some parts of the economy, not the least of which would be repositioning industry, uh, you know, particularly on the high tech and maybe the car industry was something that maybe she was slow to do. Um, again, uh, you know, maybe these criticisms are easy to make, uh, but but there is a kind of a sense that maybe they didn't take full advantage of the economic strength that they had and certainly the budgetary strength that they had to make some fundamental changes in industry. Having said that, uh, and, and in infrastructure, having said that, she didn't do other fundamental changes, not the least of which uh, would have been uh, to, 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 uh, to reposition, for example, the nuclear industry in Germany, where she uh, simply uh, decided to, uh, to cease um, the nuclear power in Germany, for better or for worse, some people would still argue the toss on that. Uh, but so everything hasn't been, uh, uh, you know, she has done some very bold things. And of course, the thing that she would be remembered for probably most was the, the decision she made in 2016, 2017 mm. to let in no less 
than one million mainly Syrian refugees, but not only Syrian refugees. That is, a, is an abiding legacy. At the time, obviously, it was uh, it was very traumatic, uh, but they did manage. And in fact, it's turning out that the, um, the, the that immigration kind of decision that she took back in those days, it would probably end up being a bonus to the economy. Yeah. When we think of how people are so uh, frugal, if I may use that word again, uh, parsimonious about letting in maybe a few thousand here, a few thousand there, crossing the channel, to think that in the space of six months, the Germans let in, accommodated and looked after one million desperate Syrian refugees. I think that is something uh, that, that demonstrated a, a human side to Merkel, which maybe up to then had not been quite so much in evidence, but that would be one of her enduring legacies, yeah. as well as managing the other crisis, like the financial crisis, uh, obviously Brexit itself and, 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 and the pandemic. No, she's maybe been, on the latter she, one, she mightn't get that, you know, the, the, the score mightn't be that high. She, she's been a hugely influential figure, not just in Germany, not just in Europe, but on the world stage, very calming right. and, and stabilising at times of great tumult. Um, Michael, you mentioned earlier Olaf Scholz, he'll be voted in as Chancellor this week. Can you just tell us uh, a little bit about him? What is he like? What can we expect from him? Well, well, first of all, I, I think, um, I cannot think really of anybody more like Merkel in so many ways. <laughs> Obviously, he's, he's a very different person, but, uh, you know, even somebody like Merkel, uh, I think I heard her, I saw reference to her recently saying that she said that she would be able to sleep soundly while uh, Schultz was the Chancellor. And this is a person from a completely different party to hers, but she knows him. So he's a well-known quantity. He's he's not a young man. Well, he's a young man, I suppose, 63 years of age. Uh, and he actually achieved what to me and to many uh, people who were around in Germany at that time seemed like the impossible. Uh, he was on the floor that his party, or that party was on the floor, moving down to below 15%. And lo and behold, three or four years later, the man finds himself as chancellor and uh, leading the largest uh, political party and having outgunned in the recent election uh, Merkel's own uh, CDU party. So he did position himself as, as, as a very successfully as the natural successor of Merkel. Somebody who was you know, un unshakable, he had self-confidence, sober in a crisis, uh, and all those things. Maybe lacks a little bit of passion and emotion, that type of thing. But if you were to look for somebody who was going to give continuity Mm. Uh, he was the person. Now uh, he's not. So, he's not on his own, though. In government, he's got two he's other got parties. Partners in government, yeah. So for the first time, you've got the so-called uh, traffic-like government. But all of these parties have been in government before. The Liberals have been in government before. The Greens have been in government before. So they're not not used to government. But they're, they're well, they're definitely new is the configuration. But honestly, even with all of that, even with the Greens in government and the Liberals in government and the Socialists in government, uh, it's actually it's going to represent change, but continuity all in one go, if that doesn't seem like too much of a contradiction. So uh, the Germans obviously voted for change, but they also voted for some level of continuity. And in many respects, uh, that's exactly what, they, what they've what they got. So I think if people are waiting uh, for something that's completely different to what they've been used to over the last 16 years, they may be a little bit surprised that it may not be quite as, uh, as radically different as maybe some people might expect it to be. It really will be, uh, it, even though it's untested, uh, it is a government that has a certain level of experience, not the least of which is in Schultz himself. And I think in that sense, there will be continuity, even if alongside that there will be change as well. And finally, Michael, maybe that's no harm from an Irish perspective. Why are Germany so important in our relationship? 
Well, it is no harm from Ireland's perspective because all of these things, insofar as Germany is doing well, all of Europe by and large uh, can do well as well and we can do well as our largest trading partner in the European Union. Obviously, we need uh, Germany to be growing, we need it to be uh, politically stable, but we need it to be economically successful as well. And while I don't think it's economic, uh, the economic forecasts are that stunning, uh, it, certainly not compared to ours, the forecasts for, for this year and next year maybe are, are, are slightly low. I think uh, Germany that's doing well will, be, will automatically be in, be in Ireland that's doing well. And also it impacts on how, you know, what, what Germany is going to bring to the European Union. The good news there is that, that within this three-party government, there is no ambiguity towards the European Union, no more than there's any ambiguity towards the transatlantic relationship. All of that is positive. And in fact, I think they would bring new energy into the European Union. Now, some of that may be challenging from our point of view. Mm. There may be an ambition there, which at times we could maybe, uh, but we may, may find hard to imagine. But side by side with Macron, if Macron is elected next, next May, I think the European Union, the vision of the European Union will be a lot stronger. Now, uh, the reality of that may not be an awful lot different, but it will affect things like the Stability and Growth Pact, you know, how we manage debt, uh, whether in 2023, after 2023, that kind of temporary suspension of the budgetary rules is going to be continued. Germany's voice in all of that is going to be crucial. Mm. And, uh, and obviously, to the extent that uh, it has a particular view on that, it affects us as well, of course, uh, because we will be bound by whatever rules uh, the new year they will apply again, particularly in relation to the Stability and Growth Pact and uh, budget deficits after 2023. So Germany affects us. I would say we, we enjoy the biggest, uh, you know, we have, we have a trading relationship with Germany, uh, which is twice as good as their trading relationship with us. Hard to believe because I think most people think that most of the trade is coming in this direction. But actually, our trade with Germany for goods and services is twice as big as their trade with us in goods and services. So we enjoy a very, very good relationship with them. And they have been with us through the whole Brexit saga. And I think in that sense, the relationship is stronger and better than it's ever been. And over the last five to seven years, we've doubled We've doubled our presence in Germany at diplomatic level, whether in Berlin or in Frankfurt. So, and, and Michael, sorry, future, ju- that's good. Just on that doubling of of um, trade, is that Brexit related? Is that why that's happening? No, that this actually predates Brexit. Okay. I mean, we we have, we've always we have enjoyed a very strong trading relationship with Germany on both goods and services. I'd say twice the level that they supply to us. Uh, I'm for I'm sure post Brexit, given the way we've been repositioning our trade, it'll have gone up even more. Uh, uh, but the good news is a huge marketplace there, not an easy marketplace. Obviously, there's nothing as convenient and as, as, as good as the marketplace that would have been next door and that hopefully will continue to be next door. But uh, Germany is a very uh, welcoming place for Irish business and we do well. And the prospects of even doing better there are, are, are there with the kind of the investment we've made at diplomatic and political level in that relationship, particularly over the last five to seven years. Well, Michael, that's all been very uh, interesting. And uh, with this new government uh, facing so many challenges, as we know too well in this country, it can take some time for parties to, to bed in, particularly when they're facing fiscal and environmental issues on the scale that, that we all are at the moment, uh, notwithstanding the pandemic. Um, but for now, sadly, Michael, we'll have to leave it there. That's Michael Collins, Director General of the IIEA, uh, former ambassador to the USA and Germany. Michael, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Matthew. Taking stock. Thanks to Skillnet Ireland. Driving business success through innovative training and upskilling.